Remember to forget. Have you made the decision to have an enemy? If you have, I hope you chose a good one because enemies are apt to become very expensive. Someone once put it like this, and I quote, if you're nursing a grudge, expect to pay some big doctor bills, end of quote. And you know, the thing about the price that you pay for harboring a grudge, you don't pay it in one payment. You pay it on the installment plan. Because what happens is when you nurse a grudge, that grudge, little by little, that grudge will rob you of your peace, it will rob you of your power, and it will make your life miserable, and it will make you a miserable person. Now, you can't always help having an enemy. But what you can help for sure is being an enemy. Just think about uh, David and Saul. Um, if you read the records in the Old Testament, you should know that when we read this, you can see that uh, Saul considered David an enemy. But David didn't consider Saul an enemy. And Saul did some very foolish things where David was concerned. And David couldn't stop that. He had no control over those foolish things. But one thing for sure is that he could control how he responded to those foolish things. You see, now, if you have an enemy that's, uh, that's inside of you, that's eating away at you, that's eating at your heart, it's probably because you put it there. You put that enemy there. You chose to have the enemy there. Because here's an important statement. You aren't responsible for the way others treat you, but you are responsible for the way you treat them, for the way you respond to them. That's what you're responsible for. And you may get some secret satisfaction from thoughts that you have about responding to your enemies. But are those, is that satisfaction worth the wear and the tear that it causes your inner being? The first, first and foremost, uh, your response, the first and foremost response we should have is that of prayer. Now, you might say that maybe the people who have declared war on you, don't need your prayers. But guess what? You need to pray for them. What did Jesus tell us in Matthew 5.44? But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. This is a remedy which will never fail, uh, a remedy for protecting your heart that's in danger of being poisoned by a grudge. It's surefire. It will never fail. It will never fail. So, you may now be thinking, okay, well, I have an enemy, and uh, okay, I'll pray for them. But guess what? Know this for sure. I'm joining the ranks of the sons of thunder. And I'm going to call 
fire and brimstone down from heaven on the heads of those enemies. Now, if that's your thoughts, if that's the kind of thinking you have about now, that's not what we're talking about here. That's not the kind of praying Jesus was talking about. And you know, the, the first thing, really, the, the first one we need to pray for is ourselves. We need to pray that we don't become bitter and start looking for revenge. Once we can get past the revenge aspect, we pray for ourselves and not become bitter and start seeking revenge. Once we can get over that obstacle, once we can get past that obstacle, the rest becomes easier. Then we can pray for our enemies. Then we, we can and should ask God to bless them with insight into his word. Insight into his word so that they'll see their own need and turn to him for help. Now, what can we do? We can pray for opportunities to do them good and manifest a Christ-like spirit in that regard. Now, another thing really important is that we also need to pray that we don't start discrediting them before other people. We have to pray that we don't become uh, gossipers about these other people. And you know the old saying, if you can't say something good about somebody, don't say anything at all. In Ecclesiastes 10.20, it says, For a bird of the air may carry your voice, and a bird in flight may tell the matter. Think about this for a minute. Why do you think the devil wants you to have enemies? Why? Why do you think that? Well, you see, if you respond to your enemy the wrong way, the devil gains a foothold in your life. That's why Paul's, uh, there, Paul made a warning in, in Ephesians 4.27 about giving place to the devil. And then there are other additional warnings about the sins that we commit that help Satan establish a beachhead, a stronghold, a negative stronghold. Lying, unrighteous anger, corrupt speech, malice, unforgiving spirit, these are just a few, and they all are, they're all additional warnings that are around that giving place to the devil, that, Paul's, that warning that Paul gives us. Now, one thing about this is that when, as long as your enemies are on the outside, as long as your enemies are on the outside, you have a certain amount of safety. But what happens is when those enemies, when you allow those enemies to get on the inside of you, you're in for some trouble. Those, uh, you're in for some trouble. And you will then wind up being possibly a toxic avenger. And um, anyway, you can go to, you know, we're doing, uh, we're doing the series uh, Blame Game Victims. You may want to jump into that series as well. We, we deal with issues of the heart there. But getting back to this, you don't want your enemies on the inside of you. Because when you do that, 
you're in for some serious toxicity which causes health issues in your body. Now, when Satan sees that the obstacles he's thrown at you, when he sees that you're the enemy isn't making any headway in your heart, he'll most likely do one of two things. He'll either stop the attack and call the whole thing off, and then most likely you and your enemy can live happily ever after. You can reconcile and, you know, you can live happily ever after. Or he'll increase the pressure and Try to bring it to a breaking point. Try to bring you to a breaking point. I think when I think about this, if I if, if there was a scorecard, I'd, I I would venture to say that the Satan wins out more than uh, than uh, uh, than we do. I would say Satan wins out more than we do, just as a general statement. Now, if 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 the pressure is increased and you are brought to that breaking point, you have to remind yourself that you're not wrestling with flesh and blood, your enemy. You're wrestling with invisible, satanic hosts, satanic hosts. And the satanic hosts use flesh and blood to, to accomplish their purposes. Ephesians 6.12 You have to be sure to put on the whole armor of God by faith, every day and all day and use the equipment God has provided for us. The right kind of praying should lead and must lead to our forgiving our enemies. And that forgiveness has to come from our heart. And the right kind of prayer, the right kind of praying is the only way we can do that. Even if we can't forgive them in person. There's a, a story um, about Dr. William Sangster. He was one of England's most effective Methodist preachers. And he was addressing Christmas cards, and a house guest was shocked to see an envelope addressed to a man who had brutally attacked Sangster 18 months prior. And... The, the man said, surely you're not sending a greeting to him. Why not, asked Sangster. But you remember the guest began 18 months ago, and so forth and so on. Sangster then recalled the, the thing the man had done to him, but he also recalled that at the time he had resolved to put it out of his mind. It was a thing... I would remember to forget, he said, and he did. You see, when Christians forget about something, that doesn't mean that we simply put it out of our mind, because sometimes that's difficult to do. In Hebrews 10.17, the biblical meaning of forget means not to hold it against the person and let it affect your relationship. You see, God is omniscient. God can't forget anything, but he chooses not to hold our sins against us. He remembers to forget. 
He remembers to forget. He remembers to forget. And thankfully, he does that. Thankfully, that's by his grace. You see, sometimes personal differences are never settled. They're never finally settled. And sometimes then we have to live with them until God makes a decision to act. David, again, he had to put up with the accusation and he had to endure any attacks from Saul until God took Saul's life on the battlefield. And then even then, at that point in time, David didn't rejoice at the king's death. Instead, he led the nation in lamenting the deaths of Saul and Jonathan. There's many a Christian leader who, for one reason or another, was unjustly attacked by people who were not their enemies, but were their friends or should have been their friends. There are many Christian workers in churches that have suffered in the same kind of way. And, you know, it's hard enough to take abuse and, and have conflict and, um, you know, it's just hard to take that kind of abuse when it's from the people around us, uh, the people of the world that attack us. But when it's the, the when it's the, our brothers and sisters in Christ, um, it goes much deeper. The wounds go much deeper. Paul, the prisoner, wrote to Timothy, At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. 2 Timothy 4.16 And Jesus prayed from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Luke 23.34 In his book, The Conduct of Life, Ralph Waldo Emerson quotes these lines from a 7th century Eastern poet. He who has a thousand friends has not a friend to spare. And he who has one enemy shall meet him everywhere. Remember to forget.